0: This episode of Life of Mine is brought to you by NTech. NTech Mining, the global leader in feasibility studies, mining engineering, geotechnical ventilation, resource geology. Congratulations to NTech Top Dog Shane McClay, just been recently recruited by Line Town Resources as a non executive director. Onwards and upwards for Liontown with Shane McClay on the board. Congratulations, Macca. Anyone wanna anyone wants to know more about ntech ntechmining.com.au the go-to, the go-to mining consultant in the world. Right this week's episode. It's a bit late, sorry, I missed the Monday. I did a two weeker at work, so I uh, she's a bit late on the upload. Andrew Penkethman we've got with us today, Managing Director and CEO of Ardaya Resources, ASX ticker ARL Alpha Romeo Lima. Now, Ardaya, they've just been awarded a major project status by the Federal Government for their 100% owned Kalgoorlie Nickel Project. Now, this resource is the largest nickel cobalt critical minerals project in Australia with 5.9 million tonnes of contained nickel and 384,000 kilotons of contained cobalt. Just off the top of my head, those numbers, I do not have them written down in front of me. And day uh, are currently wheeling and dealing to find a strategic partner to take this project into the next phase. Best case production by 2026, Andrew said in the meeting. So you'll hear all about Andrew's journey to MD at Ardaya. Plenty about what makes him tick as an exec. We always like to see what these uh, execs are, what they're all about. And plenty more about the Kalgoorlie Nickel Project. Very exciting stuff. So, let's get into it. Second and little. Copy, shipbox. I got a okay, radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy all post-out. Yeah, copy, mate. in a pit bag. Yeah, stitch her up, man. Thanks, mate. Yeah, righto, copy
1: that.
0: Oh, too easy. geez! comfortable set up here, Andy. Ah, uh, it's Beautiful, good. It's mate. We're, we're doubly social distance. We're three metres apart, so... <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on the
1: show, mate. No, pleasure. Great to catch up. I
0: know, you, I know you, your share price has tripled this year, all on. i figured out you just got to give me three shares to pay for the parking out the front, and we'll call <laughs> it even, mate. <laughs> well, you spent a fortune on that run through Perth. You think you'd have a City of Perth bloody me- parking membership or something?
1: Free should be free parking.
0: Well, there, there, there's, there's the <laughs> other option, the other option, mate. Ah, Daya, very, uh, very exciting year for you. Your share price has tripled. You've cracked the bloody three hundred million market cap as of as of when I looked at Comsec last. Must be some pretty exciting times for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know the team's been working so hard and never stop believing. You now we, we've got a globally significant asset in the Kalgoorlie Nickel Project, and yeah, just really <laughs> terrific to see the. The, the broader market, you know, starting to appreciate what what we've been seeing for so long ourselves, and yeah, that hard work starting to pay off, really good.
0: Yes, yes, all those expensive bloody drill oils you have to pay, have to pay for. Right, now, tell us a bit about yourself. How you got into? Well, sure, uh, sure, you just didn't walk into an MD role. Um, sorry, there's a bit of a career leading up to it. How'd you uh, summarise your bloody
1: time leading up to MD at Ardea? Yeah, look, I've been really lucky to work with a lot of really good people over the years, so I I studied geology at uh, the University of Wollongong, just south of Sydney. Oh, New South Wales boy as well, are you? Uh, Victoria, New South Wales. love the south coast of New South Wales, and that that was home before I moved to WA, oh, gee, long time ago now, but I guess I've been working in WA on and off since 1995 with a bit of work overseas in between. So look after uni, there wasn't a lot of work around. So I moved back to Browley on the south coast of New South Wales, which is home, beautiful part of the world, and um, was managing the local surf shop. I, I loved the ocean, so that sort of got me by until a really good opportunity came up at the Mount McClure Gold Mine in the Andal Greenstone Belt, about 700 k's northeast of Perth and uh, worked there for about three years as a project geologist with a outstanding team and I still draw upon some of those early experiences and, you know, some of the really good people I worked with. I wasn't unhappy with the role, but um, before leaving, I got married, you know, we had our first child and... Um, my, just before my son turned two, you know, it got harder being away from the family. Initially, it was a three-week on, one-week off roster. I was able to work really hard and prove myself and negotiate a three-week on, two-week off roster, which for that point in time, back in 1995, it was a very good roster. Oh, was, would have,
0: everyone would have been jealous of that one, wouldn't they? But yeah, uh. I, was, I
1: was traveling all the way back to you know, Browley on the south coast of New South Wales. It was a full day's travel either way. Um, And there was a little recruitment office at the FIFO airport, went in there and the opportunity came up, residential in Leonora. So we um, moved there, lived there for, must have been about three and a half years, working for Sons of Warlia at the time. Started off in resource development and then got sucked into the underground team when our budget got frozen and going underground was, yeah, tremendous opportunities, get to see and appreciate everything in 3D, again, work with some really good people. And, um, you know, I was missing the ocean a lot and, um, you know, I felt I had enough experience behind me to look for other opportunities and, you know, I've been, been looking and considering different options for a while and then it never rains and it pours and, you know, three different really good opportunities came up at once and, you um, we chose to move to Fiji and took up a senior geologist position there at the Emperor Gold Mine. Um, part of the rationale for moving there was some of the best surf in the world in Fiji. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why the bloody? Don't worry about how much gold's there. As long as the bloody surf's good. <laughs> and yeah, that, again, it was tremendous experience. You know, very complex epithermal. Mineral field, and again, I didn't want to get pigeonholed into, you know, just one type of geological environment, which at the time was, you know, mesothermal orogenic gold here in um, WA. And yeah, I think I'm a much better geologist and, and, I guess, industry professional for seeking out those other opportunities. And then, you know, similarly, we decided it was time to come back to Australia a um, opportunity came up to be based in Hopeton, working at the Ravate Nickel Mine. Um, fought, very fortunately got offered that position as a senior geologist there for about two and a half years. And again, great to get that um, nickel sulfide experience and you know, dealing directly with Western Mining as it was then with their cambelda Nickel Smelter. Um, and we see so many companies now. We're going through a nickel bone presently using that very same business model. But, you know, that that for me would, would have been over 15 years ago. And then a Perth-based opportunity came up. You know, a good friend rang me up out of the blue, as happens, and um, ended up getting a job as technical leader resources. Um, in, in the interim, you know, in addition to the expiration mine geology work, you know, started doing a fair bit of resource modelling. I was there working out at Mekathara and Perth for about 11 months and I I got a tap in the shoulder from um, one of the former directors at at Tectonic Resources who managed the Ravate Nickel Mine, uh, put me in touch with his brother who was the Managing Director of Extract Resources and Accepted a job there as geology manager, and that role in particular was transformational. Was you know when I started with extract, the company was a you know was a penny dreadful, but you know some interesting projects, everyone working hard, and uh, we managed to make one of the largest uranium discoveries in the world. Initially called Rossing South, and later named um, Husab and you know have that experience to to grow with the company as a, as a say from you know penny dreadful to, to a market darling you know we made it into asx top 100 the, the share price was about 2 cents when i started um, it reached a high of about 11 dollars admittedly we we had a 10 for 1 uh, recapitalization in between times you know it's one of the best performing stocks and ultimately got taken out by Chinese interest for about 2.2 billion dollars but you know we ran a strategic partner process you know we had one of the largest drilling programs in the world taking place at that point in time with up to 18 drill rigs operating at the same time. the project was in the Nabib Norklift National Park you know there were infrastructure considerations and you know I ended up um, moving on to project manager and running the feasibility study work programs. And there was some jostling for control of the company and boardroom stouches. So several of the founding team members were, were forced to resign. And we had a um, new managing director, Jonathan Leslie, join the company who's based in London. So, you know, a lot of the work that had been undertaken by the board in Australia sort of came back to the executive management team of, of which I, I was a member so a lot of the investor relations work and part of the strategic partner process all work that our day is currently going through but you know very lucky to get that experience uh, from 2006 to 2012 and you, know, you can't go and do a PhD to to learn that, you know, the best way is is to live it and, and to work with some really good people, learn what works and you know, similarly where you've got challenges and uh things are difficult or, you know, some poor decisions may be made or you learn from those experiences too. So it's tremendous experience and then following um extract being taken over I sort of decided to have a little break and then started work for a um public but unlisted company for just under seven years. And, um, uh, you know, we looked at a number of projects around the world in all manner of different resources. And, you know, you use that Greenfield's exploration experience through to consider all the modifying factors to assess project viability. Um, And I just decided, you know, I. I was losing touch with a lot of really good people I'd met in the industry when I'd previously been working for listed companies. And um, I just decided time for a change. And I had a lot of really good opportunities presented to me after or before and after finishing with Extract. And, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I made some lazy decisions and, and went and accepted a, a, a job offer that um, to work with some of my former colleagues, but I still felt I had you know a lot of fire in the belly, you know, a real desire to try and do the best I can for my family. and um, you know, sought out a, an opportunity and I'm um, very grateful to the Ardea team for putting their faith in me and giving me the opportunity to be CEO and um, after about 12 months with the company also, offered the managing director's positions. You know, we've got, um, you know, tremendous group of people here and now world-class projects. And more importantly, it's all here in Western Australia. You know, I've spent time working in Africa, South America, um, Europe. You know, I've been very fortunate in my career. You know, I've lived in South Africa. Forgot to mention that, you (laughs) know, in 1991, halfway through my geology degree I sort of worked for the geological survey there so worked with a lot of good people right around the world but yeah no place like home and you know after living and working in WA for on and off of course for 27 years Western Australia's home and yeah rapt to be here working with the RDA team.
0: Do you still bloody support the league in being a New South Wales boy or? Oh, I was actually born in Victoria
1: so. Uh, Why did tri- you? You didn't follow up much over in uh, when you lived oh. at the south Coast. I look a bit like a lot of my my friends did, but yeah, I sort of first sport was Aussie rules, mm. and um, you know, grew up with my dad and older brother watching the footy. On the weekends, so, yeah, first love sporting-wise. still Aussie rules. Really appreciate league, union and, and all sports. But, yeah, Aussie rules, sort of my favourite team sport.
0: That and surfing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's right. <laughs> well, um, how long so how long have you been with our day now as CEO and MD? Uh, a bit
1: over three years.
0: Yeah, so what what, was, what did the company look like before they got you on board? They obviously got you, got you in for a reason um, to grow it to where it is today tripled this year what um i guess what what did what did our day look like before you rocked
1: up we had a huge number of projects one of the largest land holdings in australia so we had over three thousand square kilometers of tenure in the lachlan fold belt in new south wales some good projects Uh, we also had um at at its peak look would have been at least four thousand square k's of licenses um, in Western Australia as well. Prospective for a whole range of different styles of mineralization, you know, um, epithermal, porphyry, copper gold, um, rare earths. This is in New South Wales and then similarly come to WA, you know, orogenic gold, nickel sulfide, nickel laterite. And we had to Consolidate the project portfolio. You know, people would get confused. Wow, you've got this company, you've got so much, but you know, how can you manage it all? So, I had to streamline the company. We did a um, spin out to reward our shareholders with free and species share distribution to create Godolphin resources. Uh, I'm trying to losing track of the years now, <laughs> they've gone so quickly that that would have been in. Um, 2019, just before Christmas, that, that was completed.
0: So, did you split some of the assets up? So, the assets went to Goodolphin?
1: Yeah, so the, all, all of the New South Wales Lachlan Fold Belt assets went into Godolphin, and that made sense. You know, a, a specific geographical and geological focus. And um, we continued to add value that whole time to our flagship. Kalgoorlie Nickel Project and keep all of our projects in, in good standing. But, you know, accompanying our size with, you know, let, let's say um, about, about anywhere between 15 and 20 employees. You know, there's only so much you can do and depending on your market capitalization and access to capital market support. So we weren't a producer, but with the free and species shares, we were able to reward our shareholders. Um, then thereafter, we looked at doing a similar process in Western Australia, consolidating our tenure. And um, the most prospective gold projects got spun out into the Kalgoorlie gold mining last year. Some really good tenure, um, but more importantly, that's enabled our day to be solely focused on its flagship, the Kalgoorlie nickel project and our Goongari hub. And I, I think our timing's been exceptional, you know, with the growing realisation that there's just simply not enough nickel around the world, Mm. particularly projects that can ensure sustainable and ethical mineral supply. So timing's been phenomenal. and Could not have got it better. (laughs) Hence hence the market re-rate and, oh, gee, you know, these projects, they host, you know, the largest nickel cobalt resource in Australia um, Mm. and just sort of take advantage of that. That momentum and realization, you know, we've cleared the decks. It's all about the battery revolution and making sure the KMP plays a big role in that.
0: Yeah, so well, I think because when when you say it's the largest nickel resource in what Australia, like you're you're up against some pretty good competition with like places like Mount Keith and like there's some there's some big bloody nickel mines. It's a pretty good title to have, isn't it?
1: Oh, it's, it's fantastic and yeah. That is that,
0: so is that by contained, biggest resource as in by contained nickel tons or?
1: that That's yeah. right, yeah. yeah. So look, um, and that was as assessed by the um, Geological Survey of, of Western Australia. And um, they've put out their sort of a- annual ranking and um, nickel cobalt investment opportunities. So that was updated I think in Feb this year. So fantastic to see that. And yeah, obviously, you know, we, we feature there in amongst some of the you know world's best nickel deposits, specifically those held by companies like BHP.
0: Yep, yep. Now with the, I saw because your recent announcements about the, um, oh, I can't get the words right, the national project government recognition. You'll be able to say the exact words of it. Take us through that whole process and what that means for the uh, Kiwagooli nickel project.
1: So that's major project status, and that's issued by the federal government. And it was a process Dara uh, have been working on for about two years. So there's a formal application process, and you're engaging with a number of different parties, uh, the likes of the um, Critical Minerals Facilitation Office, and also the major projects facilitation agency, both based o- over east, and sort of about making those introductions, forming relationships, um, filling out the formal application, and then continuing that engagement. And again, our I think our timing's just been terrific. You know, we've we've seen what what we've realised and been working towards internally. Yeah, since I started with the company, and I'm sure e- even before I did, you know we, we had one of the largest nickel cobalt resources in the world. And you know, we consider Western Australia to be the best operating jurisdiction in the world. And you know, as I mentioned earlier, I've been very fortunate to work you know, right around the globe. So I specifically wanted to be focused here in WA. You, you, know, you, you just get the maximum reward for effort. A lot of overseas jurisdictions just too challenging. But to come back to your question on major project status, yeah, we um, deal with the key stakeholders, um, a- answer their key questions, and they go through quite an extensive process to ensure that, you know, the recipients are, are worthy. And, yeah, just thrilled to get that announced by the Prime Minister himself. Ordinarily, it would be... Um, resources minister but yeah for the PM to actually be involved you know with our uh, local member for for Kalgoorlie Rick Wilson uh, as well just tremendous you know we've full support from all all levels of government and that's helped open the doors even more so to all of the government agencies and you know they're more than willing to help support and guide us in any way they can to see such a large-scale project that can make a meaningful contribution to the entire nation be developed.
0: Yep yeah we'll talk we'll talk about I guess what's what's coming up from when you say when that's actually going to be realized all the the production of the project but I guess challenges from your side as an MD like you've got the you've got the biggest bloody nickel resource in in the country Um, what are some of the challenges about getting the name out there getting people to buy the shares get people to invest getting the share price to go up um, it's not as easy <laughs> as easy as it seems as looking a graph what, what goes into it behind the scenes from your end
1: yes yeah, there's so much I mean in the marketplace is so saturated you know there's so many resource companies <coughs> on, on on the ASX and around the world now so you, you're competing with that there's um, you know a large number of different IR and PR firms you know trying to promote, those companies and I think it's trying to get that point of difference and that that recognition that you know a you know you you're ethical you'll do what you say you will and and you'll deliver you know our motto is um, under promise and over deliver and um, it takes time for people to appreciate that um, treating people, with respect and, and being genuine but again you know you meet someone for the first time talk can be cheap but you know you, you've got to build relationships so people realize that so behind the scenes you know firstly they're you know, working with all of our shareholders answering any queries they have um, earning their trust and respect you know we, we've got a great shareholder base that have allowed us to make this transition and then trying to enhance the profile of the company and, you know, get that differentiation from our peers. It, it's been a gradual process, but yeah, we've, we've had to never stop believing, never stop engaging from all, all manner of people. You know, it doesn't matter if that's a new shareholder um, wanting to buy yeah, the minimum parcel of shares. Let, let, let's you know, let's call it five hundred shares, or it might be an existing shareholder has five million shares. You know, and treat em- everyone with with that respect. You know, some people are very fortunate to have a lot of money. Others others aren't. But you know, their their investments can mean equally much to to different people. Um, so we're yeah, working with all our I- industry peers and, and our network to sort of grow that profile. You know, we put a lot of time and effort into all of our market releases, in particular our six releases, our, our website. We've got some fantastic service providers that help us um, the content and participation at various industry events, but at the same time, as a small company you, you can't do everything you've got to make choices if you go to every conference or well, people would rightly think well what else are you doing you know you can't risk going to a, a conference you know every week so to say so to speak how are you ever going to get any other work done so i think it's important to go to some industry events but there's a fine line between saturation and you know people will, will get sick of you too if you Going on about the same things, And
0: you get a bloody divorce too if you
1: <laughs> if you're not going home either. <laughs> yeah, so
0: well, I guess what can you pinpoint? You share, as I you said, your share price has tripled this year. It was a big focus about the, around the nickel spot price and everything, but I'm sure that's not just the reason why the share price has tripled. What do you put your What do you if you put your finger on a few
1: key things that have risen that share price? What are they? I think it's the realisation of supply chain security around the world and that there's no battery revolution without the development of large scale strategic projects such such as the cane piece. So our Mm. style of mineralisation for our 5.9 million tonnes that contain nickel, it's laterite resources and you know, historic, historically there has been some scepticism towards laterites, but there are also already a number of successful producers around the world, mainly in jurisdictions like Indonesia and the Philippines. But when that technology's been applied in Australia in the past, it hasn't been applied properly. You know, some of the project developments, you know, they tried to do a lot of cost cutting at Murren, for example, and they used materials of construction that weren't adequate. Um, They tried some new novel concepts and designs. uh, Similarly at um, Bulong and Coors, there are elements of the flow sheet that were essentially large pilot plants. You know, everything in our flow sheet uses tried and true and proven technology. You know, like our general manager, Mike Miller, consistently says it's a race to be second. You want to know technology works.
0: It's a good name to have if he's
1: looking after the processing, <laughs> Mike Miller. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you got that on your side straight away. So the, the, just that realisation that there's no battery revolution without the development of laterites. We've got the best laterite right project in Australia in the best location in the world. Right, Our Gungari flagship project it's only 70 kilometers northwest of kalgoorlie we've got you know goldfields highway and rail lines passing through our granted mining leases upon which our resources are located with a um, native title agreement in place you know we've got mobile (coughs) coverage you know we've got the gas pipeline 30 kilometers to our east we've got all these things going for us and i think the pennies started to drop Oh, well, laterites have to be part of the supply response. Oh, geez, you know, all the resources are on located mining leases. We get straight, great stakeholder support. City of Kalgoorlie, Boulder, Shire Menzies, and, you know, Kalgoorlie, we've got over 125 years of mining history. So people understand the resources sector, they're supportive. You know, we go out of our way to, to engage with all of our stakeholders. So, I think it's a combination of all those events, and then a number of you know consistent ASX releases doing what we say we would. Um, we had a nickel sulphide discovery at, at Emu Lake that got a lot of people's attention. You know, they, you know, some people were sitting on the fence with regards to laterites, but you know, we we do we've got a really good technical team here. Uh, we confirmed the discovery on the 14th of january this year that helped get our share price from about 45 cents um, up towards 70 cents we did a um 21.5 million dollar placement which was our maximum placement capacity in late february early march really strongly supported you know we, we could have done you know more than double that and um we had about 40 meetings over a period of two weeks and just sort of looking to raise the profile of the company supply chain issues and then uh, obviously the the tragic um invasion of of ukraine people gone oh gee you know we've not only got covid affecting the supply chains we've also got you know the
0: bloody war, potential of yeah. war, of war. Yeah.
1: Um, and we've seen all the geopolitical tension before that, you know, the United States, China, and Australia, and the push for that supply chain diversification and security. So we've had that macro environment. And then we've got all the governments around the world, particularly Australia and our key trading partners and allies, you know, the U- US, EU, UK, Korea, Japan all reiterating you know critical minerals are so important trying to shore up their battery mineral supply chain and then oh here's little old ardea Geez, <laughs> i got one of the largest nickel cobalt resources in the world and the best location and um yeah the pennies just continue to drop and then that that momentum's built the major project status asx release was part of it grant of um, water abstraction licenses was part of it some really good metallurgical test work results mm. more drilling updates so yeah just that that constant reminder oh gee we're, we're doing what we say we would and you know progressively raising the profile of the company when we got major project status it got a lot of media attention because the prime minister was involved and that then helps create its own momentum. And then obviously the higher your share price, you start to break into different indices and some of the larger funds will have to start looking at you. Whereas previously, if you got a market cap of say 50 or 60 million, well you may not be on their radar, but as you mentioned, you know, being around 300 million currently, it just moves you onto that next level. So it started to become self-fulfilling and you know, in our, opinion you know we're really just just getting going you know we've got so much more value to add with the projects we've got and and the team we've got
0: yeah now for for people who aren't up on it nickel laterite versus nickel sulfides pros cons and how how's our day going to do it better you said it's laterites have fallen over previously in australia why is that what he's going to do to make it better this time
1: yeah so it in the past, the application of HPL technology in Australia has been, been challenged and it's just been some mistakes made. So that's you know. high,
0: high pressure acid leaching, is it? Yeah, is that and, that and, that, yeah. and
1: that's been in, in place since the 1960s in um, Moa Bay in, in Cuba. So the technology works and you know it's been around for decades now. But um, when it's been applied in Australia, it's just been applied incorrectly. You know, You've got Now, these titanium-lined autoclaves into which the ore is mixed with um, high-temperature sulfuric acid under pressure, so it's a corrosive environment and everything goes in a solution. But uh, with some of the earlier projects in Australia, they might have used substandard uh, materials of construction um, or, or the pumps that couldn't handle it or some of the materials handling systems, um, now they get the gradient wrong. And like, we we know what worked at all of these projects, but just as importantly, what didn't. Yeah. So that that's why with our flow sheet, everything's tried and trued and um, successfully utilised other operations, both here in Australia and around the world. And the best current example would be um, Coral Bay, um, owned and operated by Sumitomo in the Philippines. They've, they've done a great job there. And their two autoclavs were both successfully built in, in a remote area and um, commissioned and achieved over 100% a nameplate capacity in under 12 months, which is fantastic. So it has been done. Uh, there's a number of HPL projects right around the world as I mentioned, particularly in the Philippines and in Indonesia, successfully working uh, Raymondstorp on the south coast of WA, owned and operated by First Quantum, successfully operating now. So yeah, we have got ab- absolute belief that you know we we can and and will do it. And again, we're a we're a small team, but you know we got two of the global leaders in, in, in laterites, um, Ian Buckhorn on the geology side and Mike Miller on the hydrometallurgical side and you know, similarly, you know, my, my experiences around the world, but in, in particular with the Husab Uranium Project. was well, a fifteen million ton per annum hydrometallurgical project that you know needed desalinated water, water pipelines, acid plant, permitting in a national park, you know, all, all that experience is, you know, directly relevant to what we're trying to achieve here. But in most instances, it's a lot easier Mm. because we're we're in WA
0: Yep. Yep. So what's the what's the what's coming up, the timeline from where from where you're at today or out of the ground in a mill, getting crushed, getting sold? What's the what's in the pipeline?
1: So we're undertaking DFS work streams, but we're also undertaking a strategic partner process. And we've got to reach a stage where we're right. We we select a preferred partner and the interest has never been strong and we can talk about that in a separate question. But that's linked to the DFS. It's my preference, the strategic partner come on board. They fund the remainder of the DFS, but more importantly, the scale of the project development. And the end product specifications are tailored to match exactly what their requirements are. So our base case is currently 3.5 million tonnes per annum to produce about 34,000 tonnes of nickel metal per annum and about 2,400 tonnes of cobalt metal per annum over a mine life of decades. But, and that's producing mixed hydroxide precipitate or MHP, but our partner might say, okay, we, we'd actually prefer nickel and cobalt sulfate. So they've got the opportunity to work with us now to get exactly what they want. Well, we do know from a market intelligence that the vast majority uh, lithium ion battery players have a strong preference for MHP because they can then mix that to meet their precise battery chemistry Um, So coming back to your question on on timing, we're undertaking metallurgical test work at the ALS lab here in Perth. We need those results to lock in the atmospheric leach part of our flow sheet. Um, We anticipate that it's increasingly unlikely we'd complete the DFS this calendar year. It'll more likely be next year. And again, that's partly linked to the strategic part in the process and what they want. And um, in concurrently with the DFS, we'll commence, well, sorry, complete the approvals process. You know, we're eighty percent of the way through all the various environmental studies we need to complete. So the earliest I anticipate we will get into production at this stage would be 2026. And we see that timing being you know, very well aligned with the growing demand for ethical and sustainable nickel cobalt.
0: So strategic partner, is that, are you talking like a joint venture partner for the project or what, what, what sort of, give us an example of a strategic partner?
1: So this is a large, globally significant project and, um, you know, the, the, the capex will be meaningful as well. And that, again, that's sort of been part of people's, you know, scepticism, but, you know, with a market cap now of $300 million, well, we're, we're well on our way. And it's conceivable, and, and there's incredibly strong interest in the strategic partner process, that they would come in, uh, fund the DFS, ensure that the project is fully financed and um, you know we've got a preference for working with key Australian trading partners and allies and that if assuming it's an overseas entity and let's say for example could be from the US Japan or Korea for instance we would be eligible for the best possible export credit agency funding so the strategic partner would, uh, bankroll the remainder of the DFS, define the project scale and scope, get the end products specs that they require, and but they would ensure the projects funded. So, you know, that, that could potentially save us, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of, of dollars, you know, if you, you get the lowest possible interest rates on the most favourable terms. and. Um, that's a real focus for us now so we you know we can do it ourselves and, and that's one option mm-hmm. or we can choose a partner and we're just sort of weighing up those considerations and that that all comes down to you know your questions on timing
0: yeah yeah so because are you doing much drilling now a lot like the big the big focus now is finding that partner to kick that project into the next phase
1: yeah the Main priorities on the partnership process. Um, we are doing some nickel sulfide exploration drilling at Emu Lake and also some um, hydrogeology drilling, sort of evaluating different water sources close to Garry. So we are active, but I guess one of the huge benefits of this project is this at the Garry hub alone, there's been over 430,000 metres of drilling historically completed and, and that's what gives us you know the absolute confidence in the resources to find. so it's already been you know a lot of time and money spent to get us to this point
0: yep yep oh there you go that's good bloody. uh you can forward this episode on anyone that wants to know anything about our day because we've uh covered a good bloody chunk of it here today mate really appreciate you having me in here even though I had to pay for the bloody the three shares <laughs> worth of parking, but no. that's that's all right.
1: We'll give you a glass of water on yeah, the way yeah, out I'll the get, door. I'll think
0: there's a couple of Mentoses out there. I'll get on the way out too. <laughs> absolutely, no, really, really Fill really your pockets. Really <laughs> appreciate it, mate. It sounds like you, bloody, Yeah. I hope I hope it all comes to fruition by 2026.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for your interest and support, mate. Really
0: yeah. appreciate it. Too easy. Thanks very much. Cheers.